Okay, let's get into uh, James chapter 5. We're going to be finishing our series uh, today on um, in James. And uh, we're going to look at it, this first few verses. Actually, we're going to look at it through the lens of Colossians chapter 3. So if you have a, uh, a Bible with you, stick your finger in, in James 5. If you don't, don't worry about it. It'll come on the screen. But also into Colossians because this is what the lens really that I want to look at this final part of the James series through because one of the problems that we have or one of the tendencies that we have as Christians is to uh, break our lives down into kind of like chunks or segments or put our, the different aspects of our life into, into little boxes and so we kind of have this here is our, our sort of relationship maybe marriage maybe friendship box or whatever this, this box here is our, is our home life box this is our leisure box this is our work box this is our kind of in-law box over here that's far removed from anything we actually want to do this is our box of that was a joke my in-laws are in the church that was uh, this is our kind of church box over here our Jesus box and uh, when we do that when we live our lives in kind of uh, boxes and segments and different kind of different parts of our lives what ends up happening is that when those worlds collide things get a little bit strange or they feel a little bit tense or they can feel a little bit kind of awkward so I don't know if you've ever had the experience where it feels like your worlds are colliding usually at kind of some sort of party or something and all the different people from the different parts of your life converge in the same place and it suddenly begins to freak you out that they might actually start talking to each other because you have carefully cultivated this set of relationships over here and this over here and, and not that you're a liar in any way shape or form but you're a little bit different with these people than you are with these people and you're very different with those people and then you think this is a good idea I'll bring them all together for a birthday party and then that thing happens where you're like oh my goodness my family are all here and actually they're all a bit odd and because I've lived so however many years of knowing that they're a bit odd I don't think they're that odd but when the normal people in the room, my family, are really quite odd. And so you have that moment where they're kind of sitting around. And because there's a little bit of family politics, they're in different places to each other anyway. So you've got that side of the family and that side of the family. Then you've got your like work colleagues, uh, kind of usually at the bar somewhere. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, they are all really cool. And I like them. But I've also got my church friends here. And I can't really allow those two worlds to collide together too much. Which isn't too much of a problem, really, because all the Christians are gone by about 10, 10, 30 anyway. So you just need to hang on in there for that length of time before it also and it kind of ends up being a little bit nervous and a little bit awkward it's like worlds colliding and it happens like that in humorous moments occasionally but it also happens in really serious moments as well if you live your life with, with kind of everything in this section in that box in that box when it comes to things like we've just had with the the gift day and the offering and the money thing you're like well whoa, whoa, hang on my money is this box and in this world you're asking me to and it provokes a tension in our spirit that causes this just oh something's not quite right here we have this tendency all the time we do it all the time to break down our lives into nice neat chunks and segments let's look at what Colossians 3 says about it. it says if you verse 1 if you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory 
That there, right there, in these first four verses of Colossians is describing you. If you are a Christian here today, if you've put your trust in Jesus here today, your life, you have died, spiritually speaking, of course. You have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is now your life, Christ, literally, he's your life. There's this appeal not to break down our lives into different segments and different chunks, but to see your life exclusively and wholly as in Christ, and then Christ from that who is your life flows into everything else so it's not marriage work money leisure church Jesus it's Christ it's Jesus in everything through everything he's not in like a priority list we often do that I'm going to put Christ first this year top of my priority list he's going to be my priority problem is if you put him at the top of your priority list priorities shift and change as seasons go and you think well actually he's just bumped down he's perhaps not my priority right now and then he comes oh no I need to bump him back up in my priorities no 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 the picture of what a Christian is is not he's number one Jesus is number one in a list of priorities he's right at the center of your life and from that flows everything else that you do so there's this idea that we see here you're hidden in Christ Christ is your life And then you operate all the things you do, every decision you make, how you live, all the stuff flows out of who you are now in Christ. So who I am at a deep foundational level affects the way I live and affects the decisions I make in every area, in every moment of everything. And that is the foundation of the book of James. Because we can so often read James and listen, do this, do that, do that, do that. Commands, oh, I don't like that one, and that one. And you end up kind of like priority, got to do this. Okay, now I've got to sort this out. Now I've got to sort it. But when we recognize, we say, no, no, no. The Christian life is Jesus is right at the center, not number one, but the center. And my life's hidden in him. He's my life. Everything else flows from that. We begin to see what James is really talking about in these final few verses. Because once again, James, in these last few verses of chapter five, is trying to push this idea that Jesus affects and is included in and is involved in every single area of your life. There's nothing too big that he can't be involved in and isn't involved in. And there's nothing too small that he shouldn't be involved in. See, if Jesus is only actually involved in like the big decisions of our lives, how many big decisions do we make in our lives? Like maybe a handful. And if he's only involved in those big decisions, should we move to Berlin, should I get married, should I do this job? If that's the only time he's really involved in our lives, then he's not really involved in our lives at all. Because our lives are made up of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of decisions, often quite seemingly inconsequential decisions. And if he's not involved in those things, then he's not really involved. And that's not a thing of, right, which toothpaste should I use, should I buy, I've got to pray about it and wait on the Lord and discern from the book of Lamentations, it's in there somewhere, where you should, what, or it's, it's none of that kind of stuff, it's just this conscious thing of, no, he's through, he is in me, I'm in him, everything in my life flows from that. And that's the invitation of Colossians 3. Come, abide in me. Let me come be involved in your life. Let me be right at the in center of everything you're doing. And that's where James pushes us in these final few verses of James chapter 5. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Invitation throughout the book of James, particularly in this final bit, James just brings us back to this thing is, in every area of our lives, involve God. In every area of our lives, he's right there at the center from which we then work out every single decision, every single action, everything we work stems from that my life's hidden in Christ. He is my life and now I act. So verse 13, are you suffering? Is life hard? Is life difficult? Is the stuff that's pain and all the rest of it going on, is it challenging? Pray. Involve God. You cheerful. Is everything great? Everything's happy. Like everything that I touch turns to gold at the moment. Everything's great. If things are good, we'll sing praise. And because we have this tendency to box our lives off into different segments and different things, we, we end up doing not out of the overflow of who we are in God, but we end up kind of viewing things through the lens of how it affects this area and this area and this area and this area. So what we end up doing consciously or subconsciously is when trouble comes, when life does not work out as we thought it should, we end up getting a bit angry about it or a bit bitter about it or we end up backing off from the things of God or we end up sometimes, I'm not saying everyone does this, but sometimes we can end up indulging in a bit of self-pity or we can complain or we sort of give up and go, it's not working then, is it? On the other hand, when, when things are going great and when we're really happy in, in God, we, we have a tendency just to forget about God. It's like, life's great. Why do I need him? Like, Woohoo! And we, we might not do it consciously as black and white as that, but, but subtly we do. And James says, no, 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 listen. In every area of your life, in the high moments, in the low moments, in, in everything in between, involve God. Commune with God. Talk to him. Involve him. Include him. Basically, what does the Christian life look like? Well, whether you're in a good place or a bad place, it looks like praying and praising. Pretty much in every situation, in every circumstance. That, that's what it is to pray without ceasing. That's the relationship that we are in. And prayer is right at the heart of it. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father. First, first thing and first of all, we're in a relationship with God. You think about the relationships, the earthly relationships that you are in. They, the good ones involve a lot of communing. They involve a lot of talking. They involve a lot of relationship building. That's essentially at its foundation level what prayer is. I'm an earthly father. I commune with, I talk with my kids, and they talk back to me. If they didn't, if there was never any kind of conversational element to our lives, there wouldn't be much of a relationship full stop. And prayer then is right at the foundational level of what it is to be in a relationship with God. You never talk to somebody in an earthly relationship you ain't got much of a relationship. I mean, you might suit you that way with some relationships, but it, it's not one of the ones that you go, I can't wait to hang out with that person. Prayer is foundational to a relationship with God, but prayer is also, it's not just a conversational thing, it's a powerful thing. Verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The amplified version of the Bible in this passage says, prayer makes tremendous power available. 
So you've got this idea that prayer is this conversational thing, the main means by which we converse, we commune with God, but it's also this thing of, of great power. It changes things. It moves situations and circumstances. You need to see some change in your life in a situation. Pray about it. And here's the thing with prayer. You want to make Christians feel guilty about themselves, there's two things that you should preach on. Prayer and evangelism. Because they're immediately the two things that we go, oh, I'm not so good at this. And we feel a bit guilty about it and we feel overwhelmed about it. And the Bible tells us again and again and again and again, tell people about Jesus and pray. Right? They're like pretty much two biggies in the Bible. And no one, if you've ever been to church before, is sitting there going, wow, I never thought of that before. I've never heard this idea that we should pray more and we should tell more people about Jesus. And yet, so often... We get overwhelmed with this thing of prayer. We know we should do it. We just, to be honest with you, we're just often not very good at it. Or we're a bit undisciplined or we're a bit unsure as to how. I just want to be really practical. James is a very practical book. Just to say pray more would kind of not really help many of us particularly. But we've got to think through what prayer is. It's fundamentally about relationship. And so what do you do in relationship? You, you take the time. You plan. Prayer needs to be planned. If you, don't, if you don't plan to pray, as in when I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it, it's just never going to happen. Now, there might be, depending on the kind of person you are, it's kind of, you love a diary, and so you get out your schedule, and you literally put in 7.15 to 7.17. I'll pray then. <laughs> All right? Now, you might be that kind of person, or you might be the kind of person, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a bit like that, but I also know when I think of my relationship with my wife and kids, there are certain things that go in the diary of days away where nothing else goes in on that day. I'm not going to say yes to anything. Sorry, we're hanging out together on those days. But there's also just the daily habit of when I wake up in the morning, I say hello to my wife and we have a conversation. I say hello to my kids and we have a conversation. When I get in from work, we say hello, we have a conversation. There's like a, a planned element to my conversations with my wife. Exactly the same with praying. If you never plan in any way, oh, it'll happen at some point. No, it won't. Let's be a people who plan to pray. But also the same thing, get practical about it. Like, don't set yourself impossible targets. Okay, tomorrow morning, because we've been praying, tomorrow morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up at 4.30 and I'm going to pray for two hours till 6.30. I mean, try it once and you'll never do it again, all right? But if that's, if that's you, then go for it. But let's just, it's much easier and simpler and better for us if we just set ourselves a few, not impossible targets, but a few little things. So, all joking aside, I'll pray from 7.15 to 7.20, and I'm, that's where I'm going to discipline myself, and, and I'm going to aim for a few months that we'll grow in that, and that'll get more, and that'll get more. But let's be practical about it. One of the things, best bit of advice I ever got on praying, which just massively changed the way I prayed, which is I'm one of those people who is praying, I'm fixing, and then I'm just thinking about something else. And the words are still coming out of my mouth, but I'm now thinking about what I've got to do later, and then if... I have no idea what I just said. That doesn't, that doesn't work in our conversations, I promise. But in, in, in terms of the conversations that way, it's so often did. So what the best bit of advice I got was just get a pad of paper. And the minute it, you think about something, write it down. Then you don't want to worry about it. You can think about that in a moment and get back to praying. Next thing drops in you, write that down. Literally, every time I gather and pray, a little pad of paper, writing a whole load of things down. I can forget about it, move on, pray the next bit. So get practical about it. What actually... what? What helps you? Get some space. Get some. I mean, Jesus withdrew, right? If Jesus, who is God, needed to withdraw and get some time and space, how much more do we need to? Where do you go? How do you pray? I, for us in our house, it's shutting the bedroom door, and kids, you are not allowed in while Dad's praying. I'll pray with you later, but right now I need to be praying in that moment. 
Third thing I've just found really helpful about praying is, is get around other people who pray better than you and ask to join in their prayer time. Go and pray with them. You think, oh, I can't pray with somebody who's better than me because then it's going to be obvious that they're better than me. Trust me, if they're a prayer, they don't care how good you are praying. They want to pray and you get to listen to them pray. And they might make a little bit of space for you to pray a little bit. But it's that thing, I, I have grown and learned the most in prayer when I have sat with other people who actually pray and said, can I just join you? And basically just watch and copy. So I've learned most things in my Christian life, just watching somebody else and copying and thinking, I don't know what to do here. What would that person do? That's probably what they do. That's what I'll do. Get with other people who can actually pray. I've learned most in those situations. Copy people. Fourth thing I've done is develop a bit of a system of things to pray for. Now, some of you hate the idea of system straight away. Like, system to pray, this is a relationship. This is terrible. If that's, that's you, that's absolutely fine. But for me, massively helped with actually structuring how I pray a little bit. So I've got a big, fat, wide-margined Bible, a journaling Bible, so that I can actually write down some of the prayers and stuff in the side of my, inside of my Bible. Because another thing is to pray Scripture. I so often end up all just praying the same prayers, because you said it once and it sounded good, and you think, oh, I'll say it again. And then you, by the time you've said it 78 times, it ain't so fresh and exciting anymore, and you end up just saying, praying the same kind of thing through the same kind of formula, through the, and it just loses something. And also I found it becomes very me-centered. So I started praying through scripture. Why journal? Not journaling my thoughts. I have a secret diary with a padlock on it for that. It's got ponies on it and everything. But a wide, but a wide journal Bible in terms of actually just praying through some of this. I'm reading this scripture. I'm praying. I'm writing some of these things down. There's also, if you're a tech-minded person, I use an app called Prayer Mate. All right, I use it, which is just so simple. I write in different things and it prompts up different stuff each day when I'm starting to pray, telling me what to do. If you're not an app person, it's basically a technological version of some cards with prayer things on it. <laughs> That's what it is, so I don't have to have bits of card. Just write stuff down, get a bit of a system and pray. And as I just mentioned, praying needs to, if it's going to be fresh and it's going to be live and it's going to be helpful, pray through the promises of God. Get into the scriptures. Best advice I can give you in praying is pray the Psalms. When junk happens in our life, I, I want to use stronger language than junk, but we're in church. When the fan, you know that phrase, right? When it all goes, when it all hits, when it's all, get into the Psalms. See, because when, when that happens, because it does, when stuff happens in our lives, we so often experience an emotion that we just don't know how to handle. We just don't have the words, or the words that we do have, we think, is it okay to say those things to God? Because there's this thing inside me, is it okay to pour out my heart in that way? I'm not entirely sure, because we sing on church, God is good all the time, and right now I am not feeling it, and I don't have the words. Here's where the Psalms come, because most of the Bible is God's word to us. The Psalms put words for us to speak back to God. And so when we're not sure if we can feel that, the Psalms give a voice. They give a voice to our pain. They give a voice to our doubt. They give a voice to our confusion. They give a voice to our misery. They give a voice to our emptiness. They give a voice to our anger, to our rage even. Like we're Christians, so we don't want to ever admit that we're angry. Don't want to ever admit that there's something in us that when something goes wrong and there's, there's something unjust, unjust happens, that rage that kicks in, oh, I can't possibly feel that. You turn open the Psalms and you begin praying for you, they think, there's a voice here for me. 
We can pray those things. It's like getting scripture in us is, is breathing in scripture so we can breathe out liberation and we can breathe out freedom. Pray the, pray the word of God. Read those psalms and get them into us and get them out of us. And the final bit of advice I can give on praying is pray until we pray. Don Carson said that. Pray until you pray. Which means you're going to start out and it's going to be hard and it's going to be... But you just keep going until you find yourself praying. Pray in the spirit. Don't give up. Be, be fervent. Whatever you do, pray. And sing. So the next bit here is it? Pray and sing. Now some people love singing and some people eh, not so much. And particularly blokes, we often can find it a little bit difficult to sing as if somehow it's like, oh, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not really a kind of manly thing to do. That's why we should read the Psalms because the Psalms give us a bit of a problem because King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, this was a dude who played the harp, all right? And you're going, exactly, that's why I don't want to sing. But he's also a guy who ripped the heads off lions and bears and killed giants and lots of people. You meet King David when one day we'll see him, you're not going to go, look at that guy. You're going to go, flip, <laughs> look at that guy. And he sang. Because singing does something in us and to us that, bre- that deepens in us this walk in God, this relationship with God. Singing digs deep roots. Colossians 3 tells us in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs. Why do we sing? Because singing gets the word in us. It drives it down deeply into us. Sing good songs. Singing also builds other people up. When we worship with others and we sing, when I'm standing here and I can hear the voices of of angels behind me, It's got nothing to do with the tune from their lips, but the tune of their hearts affects me greatly. But it's that thing, it's not, seriously, it stirs my soul. I'm singing with others here. There is something, when we sing together, that, that it builds me up and it builds others up. It wakes me up to the truth of who God is and what he's done. I so quickly forget and I need to remind myself and part of that is singing. Last week we were in a staff prayer meeting on Tuesday and we sing and we worship and we pray together. And I'll be honest, I was not feeling it. I was like, some stuff had happened, like personally, and I was like, oh, just get into the meetings, like, get through this. And even, I can't even remember who it was who led the devotion, sorry. Uh, and I was like, meh, all right, come on. That's uh, yeah, fine. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. And then we started singing, I'm like, okay, I've, I taught this stuff, I know this stuff, I've got to sing now. I've got to jump, sing now. Don't want to sing. Don't want to sing. <laughs> and there's like this thing going on internally in me. Sing, you fool. Because it's going to do something good in your soul. And because I'm a bloke and I'm full of pride, I'm like, I'm not singing. <laughs> and I think, oh, don't be an idiot. You're leading this team and everyone's looking at you thinking, what's the matter with him, moody so-and-so? <laughs> so I started singing. I joined in. And something happens when we sing. It gets beyond our heads, into our hearts, into the depths of our soul, and it awakens our soul, and it stirs our soul, and sing. Singing changes things. It changes our hearts. It changes our perspective. It strengthens us for trials as well, honestly. Sing when the sun's shining so that when it's not, you learn the repeated deep muscle patterns of singing again and again and again, truth to awaken your heart. So are you, suf- so are you suffering? Is life hard? Pray. Joyful? Sing. 
Pray, sing. And then verse 14, are you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil and pray for you. And verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Wow, what a number of invitations there are just in those few verses right there. Invitation number one, if you are sick, get prayed for. Get prayed for. Now, there's a whole number of little things that we can say here. It's not saying, first of all, it's not saying that only elders can pray for people to be healed. Of course not. We all play our part in praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens and praying for the sick to be healed. But what it's saying is if you're sick, and I don't mean like I've got a cold kind of I'm sick. I mean, if you're sick with something serious or there's just something protracted that is, just won't go and it's, this just doesn't feel right, should have cleared up by now. James says, call the elders and let them anoint you with oil and the elders will pray with, with faith over you. Few things just to say on this. You've actually got to go and ask. Actually got to go and do it. There's a step of faith in going and asking for the elders to pray and anoint with oil. And and so often it gets, I get this, I mean this happens all the time. Oh, I know you're really, 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 really busy, and I'm so sorry to ask you to do it. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm really busy doing this. This is part of the job. We actually like it. I mean, I know I don't want to pray with you for oil, with oil over you, right? I don't want to do it, but not because I don't want to pray for you, but because I don't want you to be sick, right? That's the only reason I don't want to pray for you, is because I'd rather you weren't sick. But if you are, we'd rather pray for you and pray with you. Genuinely, it's part of the job description. Come and ask. We'll pray with you. We'd love to do it. Second thing, just here on this, is the 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 power for healing is not found in the oil, obviously. I mean, it's from, like, Morrison's or somewhere. (laughs) The power for healing is in the God who answers prayer. Do you know what? The power for healing is not actually even in the size of faith you have. I I want to be prayed for, but I'm just not 100% sure it's actually going to happen. I haven't got absolute certainty, so I can't. Listen, it's not about the size of your faith. It's who your faith is in. Faith is in the one who is and was and is to come, who has all authority, all power, and he says... Let me pray, pray, pray to me that I can come and bless you and heal you. And so often we can go, oh, I'm not sure I've got enough faith. Well, look, can, in Mark 9, great story, father of demon-possessed son comes to Jesus and says, I pray that you'd heal my son. And Jesus says to him, do you have faith? And basically the father says, well, I don't really know. What he says is, I believe, help my unbelief, which is basically, yeah, I have faith, but I'm, help me but have more faith. And Jesus says, you know what, that's faith. It's not I crunch my eyes up, absolutely no doubt, I'm ready to believe and think real positive thoughts. It's so no, I come to the one and do believe that he has absolute authority and he, he can heal. That's faith and it's contrasting back with James 1, the double-minded, wavering, having doubts, which is basically saying I'll treat God as a last resort. I'll try everything else and then as an absolute last resort, I'll go for it. I mean, it probably won't work, but hey, what's, what's the harm in trying? No, it's saying no, 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 come before the one who has all authority, if you're sick, ask for prayer. It's the anointing of oil is this separating, this setting apart, this consecrating. That's the idea. It's like, God, all your attention right now on this person to bring healing. If you're sick, ask for prayer. Second invitation there is, if there are sin issues in your life, deal with them. Does sin cause sickness? Because James seems to suggest here it does. If you're sick, it's because of sin. Now, at a big level, answer to that is, well, obviously, yes. We live in a fallen world. Everything's a result of sin. 
All right, it's all fallen, it's junked up. There is a day coming where there'll be no more tears no, because there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sickness because there's no more sin. There'll be no more pain because there's no more sin. So at a big level answer, yes, that's it. But, but does your sickness result from sin? Well, the answer is no and yes. And it's no because in John 9, the man born blind, the Pharisees say, is it because he sinned? Is it because his parents sinned? And Jesus said, no, it's got nothing to do with that. It's not sin that's caused this. It is sin that's caused this. But maybe sometimes, it, the answer might sometimes be yes. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, the reason some of you are weak and sick is because of sin. Now, I'm not saying if you're sick here today, it's because of sin. It's not we need to find out what the root cause of your sin is, and then we, no, no, no that's... It's probably not. Think of Job. I mean, very famous Old Testament story. He didn't do anything wrong, and then all this stuff happened. It wasn't because he was secretly sinning somewhere. But here's the point of this verse. It's not, is, is it I'm sick because of this? Well, it might be, but it's probably not. Here's the issue. Deal with sin. Don't let it fester. If there's sin in your life, deal with it. And James says, if there's sin. He doesn't say, oh, well, there's definitely sin. He says, if there's sin, then it will be forgiven. So confess it, repent of it, and it will be forgiven. Don't carry it around with you. Deal with it. Don't let it be a baggage that weighs you down. Whether you're, whether you're sick or not, if there's sin issues in your life, deal with it, confess it, because then you'll be forgiven and it will be dealt with. See, there's power in confession. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. This is, there is something powerful about confession. Now, first of all, our repentance is to God, yes, but there's this thing of confessing to one another, not in some kind of haul them up in the front and we'll tell everybody the whole sordid story and the whole sorry thing and everyone will go, well done, well done, there's power in your public confession, now we know everything about you. No, that's not what's going on here. There's something powerful about, actually, there's this issue that I'm dealing with that I can't break, that I'm, I'm trying to deal with it myself. I'm trying to sort it out myself. I've got an addiction. I've got this. I've got an issue with that. I've got whatever it is. I'm I'll deal with it myself. The reality is you ain't gonna. The only way to deal with darkness is to drag it into the light. And confession to one another, to people, is that powerful dragging it into the light. I will walk with you in this. I will help you in this. And here's the picture. This is why it's so important. Back to Colossians 3. My life is hidden in Christ. It's not my performance or my abilities. So I therefore have nothing to hide and nothing to hide behind. I'm secure in Christ. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. My security is found not in what people think of me or don't think of me, but in what Christ declares to be true over me. And so there's this thing in my life that I need help with that I just keep stumbling over. I just keep messing up with. This simple practice, whatever it is, I just can't quite beat. And James says, confess to one another because mutual confession leads to mutual prayer, which leads to God breaking in and helping set you free. That's the picture. The only way to kill darkness is to drag it into the light. Confess. And the final thing we see just in these verses, we've got a few minutes, is underpinning all of this is this third invitation to be part of a community. You see, none of this is Jesus and me. It's all Jesus and 
we. Because in the end here, this whole passage, this whole book, what you have happening is this community that is totally locked into one another, pursuing him, singing together, praying together, confessing together. And so in moments of joy, we celebrate together and we sing together and we remind one another of the goodness of God. And in moments of suffering and sickness, we pull together, we walk together, we commune with God together. And Jesus is driving home, uh, Jesus, James is driving home this, uh, this communal, this community, this, this family aspect of the Christian life. It's, it's not me and Jesus, but us and Jesus. Even the call, the elders, gives the impression and suggests that this sense of you know who they are and they know who you are, that you belong. And that's what church is. Church is not a meeting that you attend. It's a family you belong to. It's one of the reasons why coming every week is so very, very important. So many people make the mistake, I'm struggling with this. This is not going well. What I'll do is stay here because somehow that will protect everyone else and make me feel better as well and give me a bit of headspace and time. And it's very difficult to come when everybody else seems to be happy the whole time, when I'm not, to come. No, no, and James said, no, 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 no. We minister to one another with our mere presence. As we sing, we're building one another up, and we are being built up. And as we pray, we're doing exactly the same. And so making sure you come to church every single week is not some legalistic thing, like collecting stamps in some way, and you get a bonus at the end of the year if you've not missed too many. Maybe that's a good idea. But it's not what it is. It's not something, you must come every single week. No, no, you must come every single week, because otherwise you are robbing others of your presence, and you're robbing yourself of their presence. And so when you hear others, the saints singing and praying and worshiping and ministering, you're like, oh, of course, I'm stirring my soul. I'm stirring my affection. And that is what it's about. If we don't come, if we're not here, we're missing that opportunity to receive from and give to just with our mere presence. You're like, well, I don't contribute. I'm not one of those people. I don't really even pray for it. Your voice, whether it's in tune or not, stirs the souls of those in and around you. Your presence as the body of her stirs and yet there's others who are here, who are walking through, who believe this truth as well. This is good for me. That's the invitation. When we don't come each week, we're missing. And now listen, I'm not talking about the holiday to here and the week you're ill and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about this, whatever I can, I'm here. I'm going to give myself to this. That's the invitation. We walk this journey together. You can't do it on your own. You need other people and they need you. None of us are perfect. We're all a work in progress. None of us have it all together. Life, we really don't. But we're a work in progress. And we're a work in progress together. And I love how James ends with Elijah, a man just like us. And you think, Elijah, a man just like us. If you know anything about his story, like ridiculous things happen. He called down fire from heaven to consume the prophets of Baal. I mean, if that's a spiritual gift, I want it. That would be like amazing, sitting in traffic and you're like, we're stuck. Not for long, honey. And off you go. I mean, that would be cool. And you think, Elijah, a man like us, who are you kidding? Because... Elijah is just like us because he saw God do some incredible things, some amazing things, some powerful things. God provided again and again and again for him. And right towards the end, as Jezebel is after him and all the rest of it, he begins to doubt God. And he runs. And he starts accusing God. And he starts forgetting all the stuff that God's done. And he starts saying, yeah, but what? Oh, no. And he ends up saying, kill me now, God. Why is he like us? Because he wasn't a superhero. Just like we do. 
he doubted. In the midst of unbelievable blessing, he doubted. Just like we do. In the midst of seeing God do some incredible things, he forgets. Just like we do. When he was going through good things, everything was good. And when he was going through bad things, it was like, oh, surely the Lord has forgotten me. How, That's why he's just like us. And you know what? The most stunning thing is after 1 Kings and everything where we see Elijah, the next place we see Elijah is in the... Is in the Bible is in the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, where Elijah turns up with Jesus on the mountain, and he's communing with God on high. He's walking with Jesus. He's abiding with Jesus. You know what? We're just like Elijah because that's the invitation of what is ahead for us. Communing with God, walking with Jesus, abiding with him for all eternity, and that's actually the invitation that we have now to walk with him, to know him, to abide with him. When things are great, to walk with him. When things are terrible, to walk with him. When things are just Monday morning in Sidcup, to walk with him. Praying, praising, confessing, knowing that he is faithful to purify and to declare us righteous just like Elijah. Knowing that we as ordinary folk, just like Elijah, can have access to the one who is and was and is to come. Let's pray.